Welcome to another episode of the Startup Grind Charleston podcast. This edition features Jocelyn Magnan, Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Snagajob. Jocelyn is a proven executive with nearly two decades of experience building global mobile apps, market-leading software products, and relevant marketplaces. As the former head of product for OpenTable, which you may have heard of, she helped significantly grow the company's restaurant customer base and increase cumulative seated diners from just 12 million to more than 830 million. Prior to that, Jocelyn held senior roles at Ticketmaster, where she helped lead the first multilingual Olympic ticketing website. Jocelyn has a lot of experience and there's a lot of great content in this episode. So listen in as our chapter director, Jeremy Berman, interviews Jocelyn to talk startups, products, design, and everything in between. As usual, this episode is brought to you by Snagajob, one of the leading tech companies in our community, providing quality solutions and an amazing work culture. You can learn more about Snagajob at snagajob.com or access the links provided in the episode description. Enjoy the episode and be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. Welcome to the Startup Grind. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be up here with you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Charleston is not a bad place to come to, by the way. Not in the least. We are quite lucky to call Charleston home. Yes. We're quite lucky to snag a job is calling Charleston home now as well. Typically, we spend the first like 20 or 30 minutes of these talks going through our host's career path and kind of evaluating the decisions that they made. Um, but since I want to get into the meat yeah. of this talk, can you just start with five or so minutes of what did you want to do when you were in college and what did that first few jobs look like as you progressed in the tech world? Sure. So when I was in college, I was an English major and a philosophy almost minor, so I had no idea. Um, being honest, this is, we, we've got a radical candor here, right guys? Um, and when I graduated, I moved to the beach and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was in Nashville when I found City Search, and when I got a taste of what a startup was like, so City Search was a startup then, interviewed in someone's apartment, you know, no office yet, that's when I fell into tech. So I fell into tech, I didn't choose it, and I think that's a, an interesting story for people because it just, I'm not your typical Stanford grad with a CS degree, then there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, but I, I came through the editorial route, and what's interesting about that is everything turns into technology at some point, right? Um, it was the first website. We were disrupting traditional media with City Search, and it was very organic from that point. The company was growing rapidly. I was getting opportunities because I was diving into the work that I was loving. And I grew kind of from content to project management into product management. And I really loved product management because of the cross-functional nature of building things. And I love working with engineers, and I love working with designers, and I love seeing the impact that product can have with customers. So City Search became Ticketmaster, um, followed that for nine years, three cities. Four years in London, uh, Ticketmaster ended up winning the Olympics, which was huge. Never done the Olympics. There was a lot of firsts along the way, I think, that are that are fun and important. And then after the Olympics, it was kind of like, what now? And I really had fallen in love with London, and I wanted to be in a place that was like that. So I met the the CEO of OpenTable at the time is a guy named Thomas Layton, who is still a mentor of mine, and he had been the CEO of City Search. Mm. 
And I had lunch with him. He starts telling me about Open Table, which, believe it or not, not many people knew about at the time. And they were looking for a product manager. And I really just got it. I was like, you know what? I love restaurants. I understand the problem. Uh, Ticketmaster, we don't really think of Ticketmaster as a marketplace now. It is a marketplace, right? They sell systems to venues and they have a consumer product. So I understood the model of these two things. And that was 10 years. Yeah, so what, what was it like when you first joined OpenTable? Set the scene. So you, I think you said you walked in someone's apartment. That was City Search. Oh, that was City Search. Yeah. So first day at OpenTable, what, what's the scene of so that company? First day at OpenTable was really interesting because they were not thinking about the diner. Okay. They had spent, you know, so City, uh, sorry, OpenTable is about 17 years old and I joined, you know, over 10 years ago. So it was already about seven years in. Okay. But they had spent their product business time really thinking about that restaurant system because if you didn't sell that system to enough restaurants you'd never get the network that then would attract the diners so if you don't know um, about open tables business i'll just give a two second overview they sell a software system to restaurants it's table management and then when those restaurants have that system diners can book into it and they monetize not just off the software but the restaurant pays a per diner fee so, you know, as a diner, you're not really going to go visit Open Table if there's only two restaurants in Charleston on the website, mm -hmm. right? So they had spent so much time doing that that it was kind of open field when I walked in. It was me and seven engineers, a really ugly website that looked like Excel, and it was like, what would you do with this? I had so many yeah. ideas, right? I had like all my city search restaurant experience. Yeah. And so what year is this, just to put it in context? This was 2005. Okay. Um, I no iPhone yet, no mobile. Like we, we actually built some mobile app for some phone that you know it was like there was that didn't even exist yet. Yeah, so I totally resonate with what you're saying. I mean, you come in, you have a million ideas. Mm -hmm. They have one specific focus that they're that they're optimizing for the restaurants. Yep. What were some of those initial ideas that you put in place, and, and why? Well, so my initial ideas were all about like uh, friend referrals and diner reviews. But actually, the first thing we did was go to Japan. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> well, um, they decided that they wanted to uh, expand their international footprint. And I was really excited about going to Japan because I had just come out of London. And I was really passionate, still am passionate about international. But the product work for going to Japan was not as interesting. It was kind of like, how do we do double bite characters, right? Bit of a language uh, yeah, yeah. hurdle. So um, I'd say some of the more interesting things that we started were, you know, kind of best of lists and mm -hmm. diner reviews. Like you know, none, of, none of this stuff was out there and diner reviews were also really interesting because restaurants were our clients. And this was when Yelp was first starting out. So restaurants didn't want diner reviews, yeah. but diners did. So it forced us from a product perspective to think like, okay, we solve for both, but who do we really solve for? And we had to like take a stand, yeah. right? We solve for the diner because it's better for the restaurant. Um, and some, some of the hard decisions there. Was that your first product manager role? No, um, I was also product manager for Ticketmaster. You were? In London, yeah. Okay, so going into, let's just say, Open Table, you have some years of product manager experience, yeah. but totally new market that you're attacking. Um, what are some things early on that you specifically put in place and did as a product manager to really make an immediate impact with that small team? So I'd say, and I learned this at Ticketmaster, it was forming the relationships with the engineers. Um, we actually didn't have designers. Um, we had a, a contract designer, but 
when I walked into Open Table, it was kind of a waterfall shop, okay. and there was a little bit of like, here's the spec, hand it down. In fact, the original spec of the website is still in a binder <laughs> that I used to keep on my desk as a reminder. Um, but I think a lot of what I did was really form that kind of team environment with the engineers where we could share the ideas together. So it wasn't as much about that I had that winning idea. Mm -hmm. It was more that I went in and said, you know, in order to get the winning idea, we need to figure out how we're going to work together. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, you just mentioned you did not have a full-time designer at the time. I know from talking to you that bringing design to the forefront of OpenTable was one of your big initiatives while you were there. Um, why did you decide to do that? And what did that transformation look like as you started to implement design thinking? Sure, so what happened was mobile just came, right? The iPhone came out and then it was like Android. And it sounds crazy, but at the time, as a business, you didn't actually know what was going to happen with all of this. And so we outsourced a lot of that work. We outsourced our, our iPhone app, our Android app, our Palm Pilot app. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, yes, we did. Blackberry app, yes, we did. Um, and they started to take off. And we kind of owned the website with our contractor, but I, I watched all these experiences just getting fragmented. And we would sit in rooms and talk about our competitors. So I actually did research. And I, I looked at all the companies we talked about as like people that we admired. And I looked at their design organizations. And I brought it to our CEO. And I said, we have zero. You know, here's what it looks like. Yeah. He's like, all right, you get four. No kidding. So um, the first person I hired, um, who's still an incredible designer, he's at Facebook now, came from IDEO. And he was a great person to hire because he kind of brought in a very sophisticated level of design thinking and what it should look like. So I'd love to take credit. Um, like I just knew what it would be, but I learned what it was by watching it happen. And we grew our design team from zero to 17 in one year. And our product experiences just started singing. Like, yeah. And the organization did too. You, know, you realize like design thinking isn't about it's a blue button right it's it's about how do you involve your organization in problem solving in a collaborative way that involves the customer um so we really didn't know what that was and when we started to feel it and then we saw it it was just really powerful that changed the development process at all yes immensely i think what changed the most was product discovery you know, it was really easy and at OpenTable, the, the table management system for a while wasn't very cloud-based or design-centric and so the consumer product was really the only thing that, that we really considered design for. And it was really easy as a diner to be like, oh, I know exactly what to put in there, right? You know, you, I don't know, how many of you use OpenTable here? Okay, you look like our office, right? Which is like, oh, I know how to make that work because I ate out last night. But you forget that how you eat out in Charleston is different from how you eat out in San Francisco, from New York, from Houston, where I grew up. So I think the biggest thing for us that changed was getting out of the building mm -hmm. and understanding how important it was to get out of the building and understanding the processes for getting out of the building and understanding how to bring that back in and not having that be seen as slowing things down, Yeah. right? Which it often can be. And what you realize is that it's gonna get slowed down if you build mm -hmm. the wrong thing, Yeah. right? So. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring this even more granular. So yeah. you're talking about getting out of the building that can be interpreted many different ways by many different people. So can you yeah. talk a little bit about what you're actually doing out of the building and how you're getting information to help shape the product itself? Sure. I mean, I'll give an extreme example. So we sent a team over to Japan. I told you that we launched in Japan when I first started. 
But what we started to see is that we just were not growing in Japan. Same exact product, right? Same exact problem. Years in the market, so it wasn't time, and we could not figure it out. Data, you know, sales analysis, everything else. And so we sent a research team over there. And what they brought back was kind of mind-blowing, right? It was a cultural difference of the thought process that went into making a restaurant reservation that you couldn't have seen in another way that made us really think differently about how we built the product. Um, that's an extreme example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, and I continuously am impressed, I think, with the power of design on mm -hmm. software. And it was just inspiring to me to see that I know you didn't do all of that yourself, but you had the foresight to go out and hire the, the IDEO guy and then build that team. And it seems that you saw really drastic results. Um, so talk about transforming over to um, the marketing and the growth aspect. So within OpenTable, I've seen the growth chart. There's an inflection point where yep. you're growing, 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 and all of a sudden you hit that point and you start really growing at a rapid rate. Yep. So what was the process or what was that point that really enabled you to, to turn it up? So I'd say there was two things with OpenTable. So OpenTable is a marketplace business, which is an incredibly interesting business and part of why I'm so interested in this in the Snagajob job business. But part of it was gaining uh, critical mass in a way that you know people wanted to use the system. So you know if you go to a city and you have two restaurants in the center and three on the outskirts, you don't get that traction. So it was just kind of understanding that like you know everything from sales pipeline all the way down to you know signing restaurants. Like how do we how do we uh, make sure we're in the city center, right? So that we're getting the people booking on a regular basis. So part of it was kind of market focus. Um, some of it was uh, mobile, right? It just was like before the iPhone, I mean, it was such a magical thing to be able to say I'm standing on the street corner of New York and I, the phone knows where I am and then the phone also knows the availability. So I think we benefited incredibly by the, the phone and so, those two things combined, I think, were, were a big piece of it. Yeah. yeah. As part of the mobile, were you starting to think about um, network effects and virality and how to shape the product to really take advantage of the fact that people had this device in their pocket 24-7? Well, so the irony was we used to talk about the phone being our biggest competitor. How so? Because if you call the restaurant, we don't make any money, right, as open table. So, um, <laughs> so when the iPhone came out, it actually benefited us from a product strategy perspective because the mantra was, how do we make the process easier than calling the restaurant? Mm -hmm. Right, so we actually didn't design the mobile app to do a lot of stuff because if it had a lot of stuff, why wouldn't you just push the button and call? Um, which we know is not the better experience because the restaurant might be closed or, you know, uh, no one answers. Yeah. Um, so the the product the product started very very simple, and we thought very carefully before we would add something in. Um, so it actually was an, a, an interesting product strategy. Yeah. Let's see if we could shape that idea for some of the startup founders in the room who are, yeah. are building that first product. And you very specifically said, as I interpret it, that you did one thing well. Yes. Before adding on that additional functionality. So can you talk about that approach and how it might be useful for some of the room? Sure. I mean, I think it's very important to remember what your core value proposition is to your customer. Right? At the end of the day, the reason you all raise your hand when that you use open table is because we relieve a pain point, right? And that pain point is calling the restaurant and they don't answer or knowing what's available. 
and we never really strayed too far from that too quickly. So yes, we added diner reviews, which is a big product, right? That, that was a lot of work and a lot of engineering, and, and I think that that's the thing that, that we often remembered was no matter who you are or what size you are, engineering is your most constrained resource, and it always will be, even when you're big. And so you want to make sure that when anything gets that engineer, it's kind of validated, right? Because once it gets coded, you've, you've wasted that valuable resource if it's wrong. So everything we did was really centered around that core uh, reservation value proposition for a while until we knew that was working, and then we built certain things around it. Yeah, so tie that back to one of the things I, I really enjoyed reading about as I did my research was the concept of starting out as a transactional company and moving it more into an experience and transformational company. Yep. So what I hear you talking about now is very transactional based, yep. right? I am reserving a reservation and that's much different from I just had an amazing experience powered by OpenTable. Right. So how did you introduce or why did you introduce that concept and how did that shape um, the product? Yeah, so it's a great question. So OpenTable really went through a transformation as a company. I think the design team had a lot to do with it, which was, you know, people don't use products because they make a transaction easier. I mean, they do, but they don't really get addicted to those products, right? There has to be something there. And then we started to think about why you go to a restaurant. It's not a transaction. It is an experience, right? I mean, it's fun. It's emotional. It's uh, cultural. And we were also watching, you know, we wanted to be the place that you came to make the decision, not the place that you came to book. And if you're going to be the place where you come to make the decision, you have to build your product around those qualities um, that impact your decision, which are very emotional qualities, right? So that's when we started to leverage, you know, more content around the reviews. We started having conversations about photography. Um, we had conversations with, with each other, like, why do you decide to go to this restaurant over the other restaurant? So, you know, it really was about making it more of an experience because that was the mindset of the, the diner mm -hmm. and that's why you use certain brands. I mean, I, you know, I often think of like Uber, which is very much a transaction and I use it all the time, but I smile whenever I'm in San Francisco and there's like the local pumpkin on Halloween or, you know, like the, the team that's winning has their icon, like the little soft things that, that we would try and do just to kind of remind people that we are more than that reservation. Yeah. So what would you say going back to the experience theme was like that magic moment for the customer where they said, well, this is a lot different from a, a restaurant booking app. Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, I'd love to ask the diners that. I mean, one of my favorite things is when we, on the profile page, use data science to call through the reviews and just do like the top dishes mm -hmm. at the top, right? Which is like giving someone a signal of why they might want to dine at that restaurant. I mean, I wouldn't say there was any one feature that did it. I'd say as a company, we did establish a bigger mission. So, you know, 17 year old company, founders out of the building, a lot of you are starting your own companies. I think having that mission is really important. So we, our CEO at the time came out and said, we're not just open table, but we power great dining experiences. So it wasn't just the product, he elevated the company to the experience level. And that's really important because if you just have it in your product team, it's not gonna live in your product, right? If you can go to your sales leader and say, 
hey, we're open table, we power great dining experiences. That's a whole different genre, right? And that's, you know, Snagajob's a mission-led company. They have their original mission from before. Open table didn't have that benefit. We actually had to create it in the moment, yeah. which is also when we did the rebranding. And so it all kind of followed in line. Yeah, I'll tell you what it was for me. I can't remember when, but it was going to a new city and using open table as a discovery mechanism. To find a restaurant I would have never felt and been able to find otherwise and just have an incredible dining experience. Um, so that to me was I wish you would have called me that day. It would have yeah, made me like, very happy. This is, this yeah. is it. However many years later though, it still feels good. Still, still feels, feels good. good. Still feels good. That's awesome. Um, let's switch to the people management sure. side of things. Um, so as I understand it, just looking on LinkedIn, people really like to work for you. I'll just say it bluntly. People like to work for you because you bring out the best in each one of your employees. Talk to me about your leadership philosophy and management style and how that has helped you get the best results from the people that you work with. Um, so I do, I think part of why I love product management is I love working with people. And I, I have a strong belief that people all have superpowers. And I think part of the, and they're not necessarily matched to their experience or their title. So understanding what their superpowers are really means getting to know them and being bold enough to put them in a role that, that you think they'll shine in that maybe isn't quite logical. So I'll give an example. We had an analyst at Open Table who was just brilliantly smart, but he wasn't just an analyst, he was kind of a storyteller. So he could look at all the data and then he could immediately tell you the story that you needed to know from that. And I watched him get kind of frustrated because he then would jump to what we should then do about it, but he was an analyst, he didn't really have that power. So I was like, you should be a product manager, but you should be paired with a strong designer or else this is gonna look like Excel, <laughs> right? And who has, you know, so it's, it's, it's not just recognizing it, but it's also pairing it with the others. And, you know, similarly, I had a designer that really had a product mind and I put her in charge of the app because I was like, that needs to be our strongest experience. Yeah. And you're an experience led person. We can teach you product management skills. So I think a lot of it is really understanding people's strengths or superpowers, creating the roles for them and then partnering them with the, with the people that complement them. Yeah. Do you have any experience with that working at some of the smaller companies? So for me, as an example, I'm a, a leader of a team of seven. Yeah. And like what you describe here, it would be the most amazing day in my life if I could find like a strength of this person, a strength of that person, pair them together and say yeah. like, go do, you're doing X, you're doing Y, go do Z. Yeah. But it turns out X and Y are really important for the company to make progress. Um, so do you have any leadership, ta not tactics, but leadership values that can work at all size companies? I mean, I'll use myself as an example because I wasn't a leader when I was in the startup. I was in the other seat. Mm -hmm. I was given the opportunities um, because I had the passion, the will, and the desire to do jobs that weren't in my wheelhouse and maybe weren't even in my job description. So if I were you, I'd be looking for those people, right? If they're worried about their career track at seven people, Good luck, right? Because I didn't actually care what my title was. I was a content editor, but I was really a product manager then, if I think back. And I was probably doing some design. I was going out to buy toilet paper down the street. Like, that, I think you want to look for a certain level of grit and, and willingness to do lots of different roles. 
And by doing that, you're actually going to start to see where they're going to shine. Yeah. But I, I think that's who you're, you want to look for. And you want, to, you want people who really believe in what you're doing. The reason I was doing that at City Search is I was so excited about what they were trying to build. Mm -hmm. Like all night, all day, I thought about how we're just like building this amazing new city guide that no one's ever seen. So I think that's a really important quality. Yeah. Were you at OpenTable during the acquisition? Yes. What was that experience like? That was a crazy experience. Um, selling your company is a crazy experience. Which um, and where were you in the company at this point? Were you product leader? SVP, yeah, so right? I was SVP of product, and I was really close um, to my CEO and went through the process with him and watched the level of um, kind of anxiety and stress. You know, it's kind of like buying a house on steroids, yeah. right? And um, I learned a ton. So it was it was incredibly exciting to hear my CEO talk about the company almost as a salesperson because you're talking about how great the company is and you're like, wow, I've spent 10 years like building this thing. And, and yet it's a little bit unsettling because you don't know who the buyer is going to be and then you have the buyer and then you still don't know quite how that's going to be. But I had a very positive experience with it. Like I was excited throughout the process. I was excited after the process. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned from the CEO going through that experience? Had he gone through with the M&A process before? Have uh, you gone through it before? I don't think so. I don't, not, definitely not at that scale. Okay. Were there any like hard lessons learned or great lessons learned that... I learned that it's really helpful to have a great board. So um, our board of, open, uh, board of directors at OpenTable was incredibly supportive mm -hmm. of our CEO during that process. And it is really stressful, yeah. right? Because there's a, if you've ever been through M&A, there's a lot of touch and go and legalese and it might go through, it might not. And it's maybe this person or it's maybe that person. Um, and he had 100% support from our board. And so I think that's an important thing to think about as you go through this process and you choose your board. You do want a board that's smart and it'll push you, but at the end of the day, you also want a board that really believes in you, and I think our CEO had that in spades. Yeah, that's great. So how long did you work after the acquisition at OpenTable? Uh, it was about a little over a year. Okay. Um, so after that year, presumably you could have taken a long time off and sailed around the world, but you are back fighting the good, the good fight. So what led you to snag a job? So I took seven months off. Okay, Within good. a year, I good. did not sail the world. <laughs> Um, but I did take seven months off, and it was a really incredible time of networking. So I spent that time very thoughtfully, because I think when you're inside a company for 10 years, it's very hard, even the most well-networked people, which I feel like I'm fairly well-networked, you get outside and you realize, wow, there is so much interesting stuff going on. And I'm sure many of you are doing many of those things, but my eyes were just kind of wide open. And I was a sponge. I wanted to learn about everything. I kept a spreadsheet. I have 90 lines in that spreadsheet of my conversations. Yeah. And I think what really struck me during that time is I wanted to do good. Mm -hmm. I wanted to join something uh, that was making uh, an important impact in the world beyond just building a piece of software. And Snag a Job hit that for me. It also had the kind of touch point to restaurants, which I think I'll always be passionate about. It's not a restaurant company, but it's still engaged in the community and I brought some knowledge there. I think it was a chance to take what I've learned and apply it to somewhere where I hope to make an impact and think that I can make an impact. The people are incredible, right? And Jason, who's just up here, we were going through the People Matter acquisition while I was interviewing, so they actually brought me on on contract to make sure that when I joined, I wasn't surprised by the acquisition, okay. which I thought was great. 
uh, Peter, the CEO, is really great, and I knew he was someone I could learn from because he's seasoned. So I didn't necessarily want to go work for a first-time CEO. I wanted to work for someone who could actually teach me something. So it was a combination of, of all those things, really, like doing good, feeling like I can make an impact, loving the people, and being able to learn from at the same time. So you still come in all these years later with that fire of I have a million ideas and now it's nice to actually have some resources to put them to work. Where's Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I come in with fire, I'd say that, yes. We just took Strength Finders, my number one quality was activator. Yes. So um, I'm in activator mode, yes. <laughs> that's, um, that's awesome. Um, so what are you most excited for with People Matter being um, having been based in Charleston and now being a part of Snagajob, how does that um, shape your role and, and what do we bring out as a community that is special? So I think it's really special to work for a company that has a Silicon Valley presence but has a footprint across the United States. And I really didn't realize this when I took the job but I'm realizing it now because none of them are better. So don't believe for a second Silicon Valley is better than Charleston but they are very different and Silicon Valley is very different and I feel very grateful to be there and, and experience it, but I feel even more grateful to get out. Yeah. And um, personally, I was born in New Orleans and Charleston reminds me a lot of New Orleans. I love food, so it's a great place. People Matter as a product is critical to our strategy. These guys have built an incredible uh, product, or suite of products, I should say, and they have great people who are passionate about what they built. They have really in-depth knowledge about the space. And so, you know, we're here to stay and we're super excited about the product, but we're also really excited to be a part of the community. And I'd say that in every community we're in. So when we thought about West Coast, we didn't say we're just going to go next door to Google, we said, which is nothing wrong with that, but we said we're going to go to Oakland, which is, you know, a more up and coming part of the Bay Area and it's more appropriate, I think, for what Snagajob does and for hourly workers. So we've been very thoughtful about our footprint and we want to be as engaged as we are here in Charleston, in Oakland, in Richmond, and in D.C., which are our core office areas. Yeah. When we look back in one year, what will be the biggest change that you've brought to Snagajob? I hope it is the development, product velocity, and quality that the company's never seen. Okay. Are we elevating design this time again, or is it already elevated within the we company? We are. I just, as of last week, we hired a new VP of design who is incredible, and um, I'm very excited. Uh, his name is Peter Mayerholtz, and he is the founder of Adaptive Path and he's joining us first uh, of January. So yes, 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 yes design yes, yes. and design thinking, yes. Big things to come, I like it. All right, I'm gonna ask four pretty quick questions and we're gonna open it up uh, for Q&A so everyone start to think about what you wanna ask. Um, what's your favorite book? My favorite book right now is Between the World and Me. Who's read that? Everybody go out and get that book. It's very small, it's a great book. What's it about? So, I don't want to give too much away, it's a, it's a letter from a father to his son um, and it touches on kind of race relations in the U.S. and, and culturally what that means. Alright, what's your favorite mobile app right now? Can I give three? You can give your top three. What are your okay. top three mobile apps Top right three. Uh, one is Sleep Cycle. Does anyone use that? Okay. Just started using it, so, you know, I'm a little bit in love. Um, Wings which is kind of the pre-booked Uber, but you can pick your favorite driver. And I travel a lot, so like it feels really good on Monday morning to have like that same driver pull up to my house. 
Um, and then class dojo, which is how I spy on my kindergarten son. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a non-creepy way. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, favorite restaurant in Charleston? Okay. So I really uh, aspire to be able to answer this question in a more robust way. <laughs> but on Monday, I went to Edmund's Oast, and I had the charcuterie plate and a peanut butter and jelly beer. And I have to say, right now, that's winning. But after this, we're going to the ordinary, so have me back, and we'll see if my answer is more interesting. I like that answer. It's a pretty good answer. I like that answer. They put grits in the, uh, the what is it called? Scrapnel? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. All right, last question. Um, you've accomplished a lot throughout your career. You're still going to accomplish much more. How do you want to be remembered? So I would like to be remembered as somebody who helped people realize the most in themselves. That's how I'd like to be remembered. That's a fantastic answer. All right, let's open it up for some Q&A. Another question. I work for Booz Allen. We just recently acquired Spark. And uh, I can tell there's a lot of friction between that corporate culture yep. and the startup culture. And sure, it's every person's passion to be acquired. You know, they have a startup. And so as a, as a company just recently acquiring another company, what type of best practices are you implementing? Because I think there's a lot of resistance when a company is acquired by the employees. Sure, the owners enjoy it. The yeah. senior people who have the options and the, you know are cashing out enjoy that cash out. But you know, preserving that culture and that mindset of a startup being acquired by another company, how how do you guys effectively manage and navigate that? Sure. So I mean, we talked about the people matter acquisition and the big price and acquisition. What we didn't talk about was the string of acquisitions Open Table made that I, I was a big part of. So I actually had three ex-CEOs on my team, so I lived this. And here's what I would say. Um, first of all, and this is pre-acquisition, I wish companies spent more time on cultural fit. Because in the you know nine or 10 acquisitions in my past, I can almost 100% bring down success to cultural fit. It wasn't the financials, wasn't the level of engineering. Um, in fact, we had some of the best engineers and some of the ones that weren't the most successful. And I do think that's why People Matter and Snacky Job are so successful because we it feels like we're the same people. So cultural fit's super important. You're beyond that now. So you know that may or may not have been there. If it and, and if it wasn't, which we had as well, it's an appetite to well, it's two things. The CEOs that I had on my team often came in very resistant with a big ego, and that's not going to work in a corporation. So some of it is training and leadership training for young CEOs coming in who, and I mean young, not in age, young and experienced, which is the way you operate with a seven-person company and the way you operate in a corporation is different. They both have pros and cons, by the way. None of them, neither is better. And the more you can foster an environment where the corporation is open to acting more like a startup, but the startup is, is, is open to acting more like a corporation, right? Because in the end, they will benefit, right? A, a startup will learn things from a successful business that they didn't have, and a corporation will learn how to be more nimble or more open-minded. Like our CEO at Open Table, he used to say to our startup CEOs, like, please tell us what we're doing that we shouldn't be because we're an old company. Like, disrupt us. Like, tell us. Like, open the dialogue. So I think it, it's, you. first of all, you just have to acknowledge that and then really be uh, paying attention to it and foster those people. Great. Next question. Thomas? 
Um, so first of all, thank you for taking the time to come speak with us. Uh, I love when you said, I have a strong belief that all people have superpowers. Can you give entrepreneurs such as us some tangible tasks beyond just getting to know someone where we can, that we can use to help identify what someone's superpowers may be? Let them do the job. I mean, I was given so many jobs I wasn't qualified to do, and basically, you know, just let them do it. Like, and if they fail, find out if they're really going to keep. It's almost like the product, right? Do an A/B test. Like, if they fail, is it just a first iteration fail, and they need some coaching, or is they they're really not right for it? I mean, you know, I think back to the opportunities I got, and I laugh. I'm like, really, you let me move to London to do that? Um, but it works. Sometimes, like, you know, I, I, I would say that, like, take some chances with people is a really, really good thing to do. And don't let years of experience get in the way. What else? Who's got a question? Um, yeah, so Open Table did an amazing job in pioneering the reservations and got into, like, the top 30,000 restaurants. Do you think there are things they could have done along the line to be, like, to grow farther down the chain and not as high end or even across industries because everyone takes reservations like doctor's offices and all sorts of businesses. Yeah, so I think uh, two things. Uh, one is we did think about should we go into other industries, but I think the, the decision-making process for dining at a restaurant is fundamentally different from I'm going to go book a golf course or a haircut. So I don't think our model would have worked as one company doing industries. Within our industry, I think, you know, in hindsight, we should have been a little bit more um, innovative sooner. So I do think it does have a level of innovation at Open Table, but and I experienced this at Ticketmaster too. You know, it's a little bit beware of the market leader syndrome, right? Uh, Ticketmaster, market leader, Open Table, market leader. It can you know give you that kind of well, we don't really need to do that right now. And so I would caution anybody who becomes part of a successful co uh, corporation or, or business to, to think about that because I think, you know, I'd like, I would have liked to have seen OpenTable get into the cloud sooner with their table management system. I would have liked to see them try a down market sooner, you know, whether it was waitlist or whatever else. And I think part of that is probably a little bit market leader syndrome. Any other questions? Um, so a lot of us here obviously are firm believers in Charleston. We've been here, some of us are a little older than others, and maybe have, you know, grown up in a career here, and it used to just be black box, and now it's this amazing place that, you know, you're getting a taste of now. Um, we know what we need, right? We believe. We know we need better uh, infrastructure and investment and talent. What do we not know that we need? What, what, what do you think that Charleston is, we should be looking out for? It's a good question. I think you should probably lo be looking out for all of the people in Charleston, right? So are you just thinking about the people in the center? Mm -hmm. Could you be training more people younger to be in STEM and in tech? Um, this is probably a bigger community than what we even consider sitting here where we sit. Um, you know, I just said Richmond Women in Tech last night talking about diversity. Um, what I would really encourage Charleston to do, any community, but especially Charleston, is to think about all of your community. And then, you know, recruiting around Charleston. This is a fantastic place to live, seems like. Right? There's many people in many cities. I met a woman last night who got burned out in New York. Right? Don't don't think don't think you don't have just as much to offer as New York. So I'd say make sure you're grooming your own community, um, but don't think you can't go outside to bring people here.
how do you take the time out of your day? I mean, obviously a busy schedule to, to focus and kind of bring the best out of people, right? Sometimes the work leads, but how do you make sure, you, know, you said your, your goal was to bring the best out of the people that work for you. How do you make sure you do that? So I'm a pretty firm believer in anyone who works for me, I should be able to answer the question, what do they want to be when they grow up? And if I know that about the people and um, we're checking in on a regular basis, I feel like we're working together to make sure that they're, they're being the best that they can be. So one, I mean, I have a very tactical system, which is I do quarterly um, check-ins where you know that question is asked in the beginning when we first start working together and then we revisit that every three months and we look along that path. But we also add in some of the, the things that are specific to their discipline. So if they're design or if they're marketing or if they're product. So that's a tactical thing that I put in place over the years. But I think you'd be surprised how few people ever ask their people that question and how important that question is. Dave? What do you want to be when you grow up? Good question. So I would like to be a CEO. Um, I think uh, leading a company is probably one of the most exciting and difficult jobs that exist. And so that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to ask one question and we'll have one more. Um, I feel like we talked a lot about the positive side of your career. Yep. Let's get real for a second. Is there sure. something that stands out as a big failure, lesson learned, just like something that really brings it home that like this stuff isn't that easy and people fail pretty hard and you got to keep fighting to ultimately be successful. I have a ton of those um, and certainly don't want to pretend like I don't, so I'll, in no particular order. Um, so OpenTable had a period where we were doing a lot of re-architecture and all the product managers started to leave because there wasn't a lot of interesting product work. And it was really, really hard because these are people I loved and loved working with and they loved working with me and there were tears, but they had incredible opportunities and we weren't doing as much. And I had to stand in front of my team every day and pretend like, not pretend, but I had to tell them it was going to be okay. And I didn't know if it was and I didn't know what the answer was. And so I just kind of took it day to day and I said, look, just because one person leaves doesn't mean everyone's going to leave and we'll make it through and it's really tough and I knew we had to do it. Um, but it was really, really hard, um, and I think you know if they were sitting here right, right here, we'd probably all group hug and admit <laughs> that that was hard. Um, it was hard when OpenTable got purchased, right? It was hard um, to see all the changes that that went went by there. To see my CEO leave, who was kind of my advocate and the person who was looking out for me, and now I'm in the hands of people who are new and and don't know me as well and so you know that was also hard so don't think for a second getting bought is always easy or uh, going public isn't always easy either right all of a sudden you're you're in short-term mode when you used to have this kind of freedom of, of thinking about the long term I think that was also difficult um, it was really hard moving to London I was just talking about this in the car uh, with someone today where it was just like you know, uh, I'm a 28-year-old director in a culture that isn't used to that, and I was just completely not welcomed in and had a big warming-in period uh, during that job, so. Those are good. Yeah. Thank you. All right, one more question. Make it more positive than, than my question, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Don't let me down, guys. Don't let Jocelyn down. 
Don't let me down, guys. Don't, let me down. Don't make me pick someone on my team. Heads up. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So what was the most important thing you did when you were a young product manager in terms of career development? Hmm, that was a wonderful question. I think the most important thing that I did was did the job when I wasn't trained to do it. Um, you know, like I, I think back to, I got the Olympic project and the CTO of Ticketmaster called me and said, don't F this up. <laughs> and I had to hire like engineers and I had no idea how to do it. So I would just say the, the most important thing I did in my career was do the job even when I didn't have the training or didn't think I could um, and just did it anyway. So good, thank you.